Okay. Welcome again to Theology 101. This is week two. And as you know, we're going to be spending two weeks per article. So tonight we're doing, doing part two of God. That also means that we're only reading one chapter for two weeks. Okay? Um, so we had a great discussion last time about the doctrine of creation, the doctrine of the Trinity. And tonight we're going to be talking about God's communicable qualities, God's incommunicable qualities, that God created a people to redeem for his very own, and that God will make all things new for his glory. You know, it's kind of hard to cover God in two weeks, <laughs> right? Um, kind of a big topic, but we're, we're doing our best. So let's get started. Let me pray for us really quickly. Lord, um, our desire is to grow in our knowledge of you. Because, Lord, we want to give you glory. We want to reflect you to the world. And we want to live in awe of you. We want to understand how glorious and wonderful you are. So, Father, tonight I pray that each and every one of us will grow deeper in our understanding of who you are. And we, we just thank you so much, Lord, for the God that you are to us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Genesis 1.26 says, let us create mankind in our image. And we are created in the image of God. And because of that, we have attributes and qualities that originate in the nature of God. We are his image bearers. We image forth his glory to the world. God is love. That means we can show love. He's just that means we can see things in our world that aren't right, that we can try to make right. God's creator, he's creative. We can display creativity. He is these qualities. He is these qualities. These are his nature. We can demonstrate these qualities. And the traits that we're going to talk about tonight are his communicable traits. And those are traits that we can possess though to a lesser degree, to a finite extent. And then we'll talk about his incommunicable traits as well. So God's attributes or God's perfections, they really help us think more deeply about who God is. And they lead us into awe and worship. And again, we can reflect these qualities to the world. But we know that we live in a fallen world, and we're going to talk more about that in October when we talk about the human condition and the fall. But because we live in a fallen world, we're impacted by the effects of sin, and because we're born with a sin nature, and because we choose sin, we're born with a sin nature and we also choose sin, we, the, the image of God is marred in us. So we know that we can't completely reflect these qualities, but when we're redeemed by Jesus, we, began a, we begin a sanctification process. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can more accurately reflect him to our world. So what are these attributes that we're going to talk about tonight? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name some of them. Some of them I'm going to give you a definition for. But you know what? When I came in here and practiced this earlier, 
It was way too long. So some of them I'm just going to tell you the name of, and you can, and you can uh, de- delve deeper yourself. We're going to talk about um, God's being attributes, God's mental attributes, his moral attributes, and his attributes of purpose first. Yeah, I'll repeat those, Ellen. Um, but as I go through these attributes, I want you to be thinking about two things. I want you to be thinking about the attribute of God that you want to explore more. Maybe it's an attribute of God that you want to, you just want to go deeper and understand that attribute more. And then I want you to also identify an attribute that you want to reflect more to the world, okay? So God's being attributes, his mental attributes, his moral attributes, and his attributes of purpose are his communicable attributes that we're going to talk about. So his being attributes, spirituality and invisibility. So spirituality, God exists as a being that's not made of matter. He has no parts or dimensions. Um, He's unable to be perceived by our senses, and he's more excellent than any other existence, any other kind of existence. Invisibility means that because he's a spiritual being, well, he'll never be able to be seen by us. Yet he still shows himself to us through visible, created things. So God is spirit. He's not made of matter. And God is invisible. So he can't be seen. Now there are in the Old Testament, some of you may be thinking, but what about when God wrestled Jacob? They call those theophanies. And those are just like kind of one-time events. That's not God's nature to to be contained like that. That's a one-time event. God is invisible. God is spiritual. God's mental attributes are knowledge or omniscience, wisdom, and truthfulness. So God knows everything. He has all the knowledge. Nothing catches him by surprise. He knows everything we need. Because he knows the beginning from the end. He knows what the end result should be. So he knows how to lead us and guide us. For us as humans, we can have knowledge, right? We can know a lot of things. We can have a lot of knowledge about, around a lot of things. But we can't know everything, right? We don't have, we're not like God. We're not omniscient. We don't have all the knowledge. Um, but God wants us to pursue knowledge. He's given us so many things to explore in our world, to, 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 um, to understand. But the number one thing he wants us to grow in knowledge around is in knowledge of who he is. And so that's what we're doing tonight. We all want to pursue for knowledge of God. God's wisdom means that he always picks the best goals and the best means to those goals. And redemption is one of his goals. And he chose to meet that goal through Jesus. So that's an example of God's wisdom. And he is the standard of truth. He is, he is a reflection. He is a perfect reflection of truthfulness and faithfulness. So those are his mental attributes. His moral attributes. Goodness. Love. Mercy. Grace. Patience, holiness, peace, righteousness or justice, jealousy. Now that one seems a little negative, right? 
because we think about it through our human emotions. Um, and, and, and again, it seems like a negative trait because this, for God, this means that he continually seeks to protect his honor. Well, humans, we don't continually seek to protect our honor. That would be inappropriate for humans to do because we are to be humble. We are, we are to not be proud or boastful. But God is God, and he, he seeks to protect his honor. And he deserves our worship. He deserves our honor. Now, So how do we reflect this one? If this is a communicable attribute of God, how do we reflect the jealousy of God? Well, we reflect it because we should deepen our jealousy for God's honor when we hear of him being dishonored. So the way we reflect this is through our jealousy for God's honor. Okay? And then the last moral attribute I want to mention is wrath. And that means that God intensely hates sin. He is opposed to everything that goes against his moral character. God's attributes of purpose. The first one is his will. God has a will. He has a plan. In Ephesians 1.11, it says, God accomplishes all things according to his will. And you know what? We can rest in this. We can rest in the fact that God has a will. He has a plan. We know that God is loving, kind, wise. He can be trusted. He's good. All of these things that we know about God help us to really surrender to his will, to trust his plan. We have a will too, right? Some of us may have a stronger will than others, but what we want to do is align our wills to the will of God. We want to align our wills to the will of God. Now, this isn't an attribute, but I do want to mention God's providence. And I want to give you the definition of that. God is continually involved with all creative thing, created things in such a way that, number one, he keeps them existing and maintaining the properties with which he created them. That just means that my cell phone, he holds it together. The cells or the, um, all the little cells and atoms and all that stuff, God sustains. He holds everything together. And the second part of that definition says, um, God cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act do. And three, directs them to fulfill his purposes. You know, this is a really, God's providence is kind of a hard thing to grasp. And the reason it's a hard thing to grasp is because we know that God has a plan and his plan will be fulfilled. And we know that we have a will. It's like how does our will, our ability to, to have choices, to have a will, how does that intersect with God's providence and his plan? Now there are two views here. There's the Calvinist view and the Arminian view. And as, as I said in the first week, the EFCA, we don't take a stance on 
things that are not gospel issues. So people could have either of those views, and it, it would be fine with the EFCA because we don't feel like that's a gospel issue. And that's something that you might want to explore more about. But there's a lot of mystery around a person's free will and around, God, and around God's providence and will and how those come together. But we know that we cooperate with God to bring about his will. Omnipotence. God is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. Now, he has given us influence. We reflect that attribute. He has given us power, some power, over our environment. And, you know, I'll always say to my kids, you do your part. You, 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 you lean into the influence and the power God has given you, and you do the hard work, and then God will meet you there, and you're partnering with God. So we know that he has, and we know in, in Genesis 1:28, he gave Adam and Eve the mandate. We call it the cultural mandate, to be fruitful, to multiply, and to rule. And God has given you areas that you rule, that you, that you lean into your influence over certain things in your life. And so, you know, the question is what influence has God given you that he wants to use, to use the power he's given you for his glory? Something to think about. How do I rule in the areas that God, the domains that God has placed me in? So what communicable trait of God's do you want to reflect more clearly? I'm at, you guys can answer that, that question. What trait, as, as I went through those traits, was there any that stood out that you'd like to reflect more clearly to the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good one. Love, kindness, mm-hmm. compassion, mercy. Yeah, I think that's mercy. Yeah, mm-hmm. which mercy is God's goodness toward those who are in distress or misery, which I think is what you mean by compassion for others, people who are struggling. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, so those were his communicable, but let's turn to those that we can't reflect because to only God. They're unique to him. They're his incommunicable. And um, they're just ways that we can't be like God, okay? The first one is independence. Sometimes it's called self-existence, but the Latin word is aseity, and you may hear someone say God's aseity, and, and it really just means um, that he's self-existent. He doesn't have a need for us <laughs> or the rest of creation or for anything he is completely independent. He is completely self-existent. Yet, we and the rest of creation can glorify him and bring him joy. So he's independent. He's perfectly sufficient, not depending on anything outside of himself. He does whatever he pleases. Only God can do whatever they please, whatever he pleases. Um, Acts 17, 24 to 25 says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He didn't create us because he was lonely. 
Because remember, he was in a perfect, loving union, eternally existing, Father, Son, and Spirit. He was, he was, he was complete. So if God doesn't need us, do we have any value? I don't know if you have ever gone through this or not, but there have been times when I wanted to be needed and when I wasn't needed. As my kids grew up and they didn't need me anymore, you really question your worth. <laughs> like, you don't need me. Um, do we have value if God doesn't need us? He, he didn't need to create us, but guess what? He wanted to. He wanted to create a people to love and redeem. And this is how uh, Wayne Grudem says it. He says, God decided to make us important. He created us because he wanted to. It made him happy to make us. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you but will rejoice over you with singing. He delights in us. He rejoices over us. I think that's amazing. I think that's amazing. Mm -hmm. He created us to love us. And you know what? He also uses us to accomplish his plan. We're in partnership with God. And we can glorify him and we can bring him joy and I don't know about you, but that makes me feel very humble and very grateful. By the way, this is an incommunicable trait, so we can't be independent. We are dependent. We are a needy, dependent people. And even when we live as if we are independent, we're not. Because God is sustaining our very lives. We are totally dependent on God. His next incommunicable um, attribute is unchangeableness, or also called immutability. Immutability. And he is unchanging in four ways. He's unchanging in his being, in his nature. He's unchanging in his attributes, in his perfections, in his purposes. His purposes will not be changed. And in his promises, what God has promised will happen. But the second part of the definition of immutability is that he acts and feels differently in response to different situations. And that's why, for example, in the Old Testament, we see in Jonah 3 where he was bringing, um, he was bringing um, a judgment to the people of Nineveh, but they repented, and so he spared them. So in different situations, we see him respond. Do, do our prayers make a difference? That's a deep topic, and we don't have time to really um, cover it tonight. But that's a good question. If God is immutable, if he doesn't change, what effect does our prayers have? Do our prayers make a difference? But we see that, we, we see that they do. Yeah, we see that they do. We see in the scripture that prayer does make a difference. Now, I don't fully understand. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't fully understand how my will and my prayers intersects with God's will and, and, and his desire. Because we know his plan will, will be completed. A lot of times I will pr pray. This is, what I, this is what I would love 
Lord, but you know better than me, so your will be done. Um, so I feel like as I align my will to his will through prayer, yeah, like what Ellen just said, prayer changes me. Prayer changes me. Okay, the next attribute, God is eternal. He's eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end or succession of moments in his being. He sees time all equally vivid, yet he sees events in time and he acts in time. So Galatians 4, 4 to 5 says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. So God has a timing for the events as they happen here on earth. And we do things in sequence. We exist within time. And we'll always exist within time, but God doesn't. God doesn't exist within time. Uh, his om omnipresence, God is everywhere. He can't be contained. Um, you know, God does not have size or spatial dimensions and is present at every point of space with his whole being. Yet God acts differently in different spaces. Um, Psalm 139, 7-10 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. So if God is om omnipresent, is God in hell? That's a hard question, isn't it? Um, and as I studied this, what I learned, and all, all of this material is coming from a book called Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. It's a 10-pound book. It's like this thick. No, I'm kidding. It's like this thick. And um, it's a great place to delve deeper. He also has a book called Bible Doctrine that's a lot shorter <laughs> that, that you, can, you, can have as, you can get as well. But um, he says... That the last part of that uh, definition said says yet God acts differently in different places, and he says that God is present in different places to either punish, sustain, or bless, and so God's presence in hell would be as a judge to punish. God's we we talked about God's um, presence to sustain. But also the Bible talks about God's presence as he blesses. And then the last uh, trait we're going to talk about, which I'm really fascinated by, is unity. So he has all of these attributes equally all at one time. And that is the amazing thing to me about God. Because to me, I feel like, oh, I'm going to put on kindness right now. Um, and then I like realize, oh, I need to put on like holiness right now. Or I need to put on wisdom right now. But God has all of these traits equal, equally at, at all times. And that's interesting that he's, he has, um, he, he, you know, he has like loving justice, like wise justice, patient justice. I mean, it's like they all exist together. And that's pretty amazing. Um, God created a people to redeem for his very own Page 47 in our book says, God's redeeming purpose in Christ is not simply to save individual sinners, but to save a community, to save a people, a community of believers united in Christ. We think very individual in America. 
We're very, we're very individualistic, and we don't think about God saving a community. We don't think of ourselves as a community. Um, but God's redemptive plan started with Abraham, and even in the Old Testament we see that God had a plan to extend his salvation and his redemption to all people, to all nations. But, you know, even after Christ ascended, there was still tension between Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, all of these peoples. But Christ came to get rid of that. Christ came to create one redeemed people. And Colossians 3.11 says there's no Gentile, no Jew, no Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised. Actually, it says no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. And Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Because of Christ, there's equality. There's no more superiority because of Christ. There's peace and there's equality amongst all believers, all brothers and sisters in Christ. He is making us one. What will heaven look like? It's going to look like Revelation 7-9. And that says that after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And we can create those relationships right now. You know when Jesus taught us to pray, when he said, your will be done, um, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We see what heaven's going to look like. So let's bring that to earth. Let's, let's start living as that one people Shoulder to shoulder, equal, all tribes, all nations, all, all ethnicities. I think that would be quite a witness to our world if they saw the church united like that. And we are part of a global church. You know, when we go to Ethiopia or when we go to China, wherever we go, we are shoulder to shoulder with brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. And when you, get, when you do that, you see, you get a little taste of heaven. A little taste of how God is redeeming a people for his very own. Because he wanted to. Because he, because he wanted a people to love. And then lastly, God will make all things new for his glory. Have you ever heard someone say that we're living between the gardens? We're living between the original garden, the perfect garden that he gave to Adam and Eve. And the new garden or the new city that we will one day exist in together as one people. And, and we can read about that in Revelation. You know, in Genesis um, 3, uh, 15, we see the beginning of God's redemptive plan after, after the curse where he says, um, I will put enmity between you and the, and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And this is a prophecy that, that, that says... Jesus will crush Satan. That's, that's the first time we learn of this redemptive plan that God has for our world. And then we read about what it's going to look like after Jesus returns. 
And, we, and that's in uh, Revelation 21, 1 to 7. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with him, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So we get a glimpse of that final restoration. In, in Romans, how do we partner with God to make all things new? Remember, we're in partnership with God as we, as we reflect him, these attributes that we reflect to the world. Our mission here at New City says that we want to bring gospel renewal to our city and world. And that means that we want to see people be made new because of the work of Christ. And we partner with God in that. So we have a role to, to, to partner with God to make all things new. And then, of course, when Jesus returns, things will be made new. And then the very end of our statement says, for his glory. We're created for God's glory. We're created to bring him glory. And why is his glory important? Because he's truly glorious. He's truly glorious. And if we don't recognize that God deserves all the glory which I'm including myself in that because I don't always recognize how God does, um, deserves the glory. It's because we, we don't know how glorious he is. And that's part of how we pursue a knowledge of him and a deepening of our understanding of how glorious he is. He deserves the glory. And as we get to know him more, we see, his, we see that. We understand that he is a glorious God. Let me pray for us tonight. Lord, thank you for allowing us um, to learn more about your attributes. And Lord, we want to reflect those um, to the world. And Lord, we want to be in awe. When we learn more about your attributes and who you are, it takes us to a place of awe and, and worship and reverence and fear. And as we look at the way that we can reflect those attributes, we're inspired um, to draw closer to you and to live through the power of the Holy Spirit that way to our world. Lord, we thank you that you created us because you, you wanted a people to love and that you partner with us and that you use us and we're humbled by that, Father. And now as we go into our group time, I pray that you'll help us just to have great conversation and through conversation that you'll help us grow, Lord, that you will spiritually transform us as we challenge each other, as we um, share our stories, as we learn from one another. 
And um, Lord, we do just just pray for that time with with each other. And we just pray that this community will continue to connect and grow. Um, And we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.